You're listening to the greatest multifamily investment advice show. My name is Adam Ross, and now I'm talking everything multifamily for an in-depth conversation, and I will be diving deep into raising capital, deals, and underwriting process. Welcome back to the greatest multifamily advice show. Today we have Darcy Marler, an exceptional guest and real estate entrepreneur out of Calgary region of Alberta, successful author with more than four books and business focused on land development and all sorts of fun. How are you doing, Darcy? I'm doing very well, Adam. Thanks. How are you? Thanks for so much for being with us today and I appreciate you taking the time. No worries. Anytime. I love to talk about this stuff. So thanks a lot. Always, always good. Uh, I would like to start with the beginning about your background. Okay. Yeah, I've been, uh, actually, I've been a full-time real estate investor for over 20 years now. Um, in that time, I've basically done any, everything in the residential space from long and short-term rentals to flips to condo conversions. I've done lots of land development and new construction. I've had uh, 92 properties and 240 doors, close to a thousand tenants. So I've built 45 homes. So yeah, I've done uh, all kinds of different stuff. So what was the motivation to switch to land development? Just, uh, I wasn't happy. I was, uh, like I said, I had close to a thousand. So I had kind of the rental side of my business and I, I never did like it. I just did it for the money. I, I can't point to anything on the rental side that I enjoyed, to be honest with you. Yeah. And on the project side, the flips, the condo, you know, I just got tired of being on site all day, every day, dealing with trades, whatever, you know, you go to, you go to Rona two to two times a day for 17 years, you get tired of it. So yeah. I wanted to back away and just kind of uh, let the experts do the on-site stuff and just uh, get back to what I enjoyed the most, which is kind of the creativity. And I love to find stuff and I love to be creative in the design after I found it. So. Okay. So can you highlight the different land development strategies, especially the pre-development zoning? Like you have different kind of stuff on the pre-development, uh, starting from zoning, permits, community opinion, environmental. But what is the kind of different strategies and biz- like business opportunities on land development? Because it's not, not just a one type. Yeah, because I, I think... I think most people, when they think of land development, they just think of, you know, a big company on the outskirts of town that's got a few hundred acres and over the next 10 years, they're going to bring in a thousand lots. But there's lots, what I call micro strategies within land development that, you know, small and average size real estate investors can take advantage of. And, and that's, uh, you know, one of, for example, is, you know, knocking down an old house, um, maybe subdividing or severing that lot into a couple, making sure both lots are serviced and, and then sell that. Or you can do land assembly where you can do two or three lots together, tear down the old houses and, and get the land ready for side-by-side townhouses or an apartment building. You can maybe find a large lot with, that has excess land and you can sever off the excess and, and keep the building. Uh, and then with the excess, the profits from that, you can either you know, put that back into the mortgage of the original building and, and, and get a better loan to value, which increases cash flow, or you can develop the, the part where the building is as well. You've also got, um, you know, then, as you said, the what they call upzoning, which is just changing the zoning of the density. So um, what I love about land development is, A, there's these different micro strategies for smaller investors, but typically with something like a flip or a condo conversion, let's say, you have to finish the project before you can sell it. You can't sell a half-finished flip and expect to get good money for it. 
Mm. With land development, because the, the, the asset is the land, you can just increase the value a little bit by doing something. Let's say just changing the zoning or the density, increasing highest and best use, and then sell it off to somebody else. Or you can you know, tear down that old house and put, uh, you know, connect it to the water, the, the mains, the city mains in front of the street and then sell that, right? So I say you can get on and off the escalator at various points. So that, that, that adds a lot of value to a smaller investor as well. You don't always have to spend the big bucks to buy five acres and put a bunch of pipe in the ground. You can, you can... I think the only thing scare newbies about land development is uh, the cash flow because potentially for how long you're going to hold the property or the actual land, there's no cash flows are going to come back to your pocket. But at right. uh, the same time, uh, absorbing is going to be an actual, if you know what you're doing, like uh, changing the absorbing from rural area to like mid, mid population, this is going to be helpful, but you have to deal with uh, municipalities and understand where, where you're dealing with, because in some municipalities or, or regions, you're facing like people doesn't want to change this. So it's not easy uh, decision to, ch- to, to choose the market. So which is bring us to my next question, which is what is, what is your actual target market? So well, it depends on the strategy, but what I would say to that, what you said before was, you know, it's really, really important then you pick the right municipality because across this country, for example, there's municipalities that'll take two months to approve your application. Others four to six, others eight to 12, you know, but unfortunately places like Toronto or Victoria or Vancouver, you know, can be a year and a half to two years. Mm. So I often get some pushback says, Oh, Darsh, you make this sound too easy. And I, and I basically say, if it's hard where you are, it's because you're in a bad area. It's because the government, you've got a municipal government that's anti-development. So the first thing is, you know, stop, stop paddling upstream and, and, and start to play in areas that, that are pro-development and want you, you know, just as an example, um, Vancouver Island. Mm. Um, so Victoria is awful. An hour up, an hour away is Langford where it takes two months to get stuff. Uh, in the middle of the island, there's uh, Parksville and Qualicum that are, that are easy to deal with. Nanaimo is eight months, right? And then Sook is in the middle and it can take a year and a half to do something there. So just literally 50 miles away or across the street, you can, you can have an entirely different different scenario right? i so, see a lot of development on 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 on, uh, on vancouver now on the islands uh, uh especially on the on the islands but uh, i didn't know how long this usually take uh, but you're saying eight months now like in nanaimo or it's a year and a half in victoria right wow. so you know why don't you why don't you invest where it takes two months or yeah 100%. four months right like yeah. so you've got the power you you know you can you don't always have to just to work or invest down the street you can you know, Calgary's four to six months, Edmonton's about four months, St. John is four months, you know, so there's lots of places around the country that are easy to deal with than, than others. And uh, so two, two tips I can give you is spend the time to try to figure out what municipalities are better than others. And then also um, to save time and save money, if you can find land that's already zoned the way you want, like if you want to develop some land that's going to be side by side townhouses, try to find try to work in areas or communities where the zoning's already been changed to, to do that. Right. So you're not always having to apply for zoning changes every time you, you do anything. So there's ways to make this a lot easier than, than, uh, than it has to be. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, what about your criteria? So you basically, you focus on middle and, and Western Canada or 
whenever there is an actual ease on, on the requirement on the distant municipalities? So um, actually right now I'm, I'm actively looking for land in Houston, Texas. So I mean, so I, I can be all over. So that's the beauty about land development too, is the process is the same uh, generally. So um, in one area where it takes two months to get permit versus the other place where it takes two years, really the difference is the amount of paperwork that the municipality is asking for. And then, you know, you might have two or three different committees to, that you have to go through. So the process is the same. It's just how much red tape you have to kind of fight. Um, so once you've kind of learned the basics, you can really, you know, I've, I've looked in, in Florida, I've looked in Houston, you know, so uh, you can really go anywhere with this, these strategies. That's the good thing. And the other part too is that's great is that if you're having trouble finding rental properties at cash flow, if you're having trouble finding uh, land to flip or houses to flip because there's so much competition out there. Um, the great thing is if you're using that old that strategy, for example, of, of knock down old house, I say basically anything earlier than 1950 or 1960 is, is fair game to knock down and, and increase density on that lot. Uh, as long, you know, obviously as long as there's not architecturally or some historical value to the original building, but most of them don't. So when you do that, all of a sudden, there's all kinds of opportunities now because if you drive through certain neighborhoods, you know, 70% of the buildings are still pre 1960, right? So it's almost like it's opened up this whole big untapped market of all these houses that you can actually play with now that you couldn't necessarily before. So, so the actual strategy is to buy the stresses properties and then knock them down, correct? Yeah. So typically, you know, if you look through the, you know, let's say you're coming up on a property that that's, was built in the 1930s and it's 800 square feet. It's on a 50 foot lot. Hmm. Um, I think most landlords or flippers will walk away because it's too old. Hmm. Some flippers will still try to, to renovate it because, well, that's all I can find. There's so much competition out there. Yeah. But what if you just kind of flick your brain for a second and say, well, what, what if I just tear that down? That's a very inefficient use of space, right? Like an 800 square foot old house on a 50 foot lot. I could easily get, you know, at least a duplex, but probably a fourplex on that same property, increasing the value greatly by doing that. So I think if we start to approach some of these older buildings as, as a teardown, as opposed to a, a flip or, or a rental, I think uh, it opens up all kinds of possibilities that didn't exist there before. But the, the play will be the zoning again with the municipality. Again, so you can look for land that's already been zoned. So you know, is it zoned for single family or is it already zoned for, for a duplex yeah. and um, potentially a, 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 a carriage house in the back or a suited basement, for example, kind of thing. So can you get two side-by-side -side townhouses with a suited basement? So four, can you turn that into a little fourplex there? Maybe the zoning is, is just single family homes. So you have to apply for the zoning change, but maybe you've, you've, you can find some land in certain areas that that's already been set up as, as uh allowing duplexes with suited basements, right? So again, don't paddle upstream, try to find the land that, uh, that works the way you want it to work. Okay, going back to this part, because you mentioned that you're moving to state Houston, especially with the appreciated market there. So what was the uh, like upside about US right now versus, on, versus Canada, because you're focusing on Alberta. What is uh, the upside about uh, Houston versus Alberta? for the land development side? Just, just kind of where I am in my personal development. Like I've done all this stuff, right? So it's kind of, 
maybe the next thing in my personal growth to see if I can do it in the US, right? So it's a yeah. little bit of a personal thing. Yeah. Uh, I did not, you know, I, I get tired of the ups and downs and ups and downs in Alberta, right? Like it's, you know, most probably most of your listeners are in Ontario, probably. They've just seen 25% growth over the last six years, right? Every year yeah. for like, it's just always going up, right? Yeah. And Alberta, it's up and down and up and down. And, you know, it gets a little tiring after a while. You just want, <laughs> you just want normal, right? So yeah. um, Texas, for example, is supposed to, uh, double in population by 2050 so that that speaks to just normalcy and um you know, some some things you can count on that maybe you can't mm-hmm. and you know alberta's are a great place now because it, it's at the you know we've had a seven-year recession so it's hit the bottom and now it's coming back up so it's a great time to do something in alberta now you know 2016 2017 wasn't a great time right so you gotta... started from 14 i think the yeah, all of the recession started on 14 and 15. Yeah. So yeah. The, the the price of oil dropped dramatically in October of 14. And then it just, it, it's been a recession, you know, maybe not technically, but in real life, yeah, it's been awful to invest in Alberta the last seven years. On the appreciation side, yeah. Uh, cash flow and buy and hold was okay, nope. but even the buy and hold, you don't like it? Nope. No, I lost a lot of money. So, um, you know, I did an example, you know, I had three buildings in one little town that's uh, 33 doors. I did, an, uh, you know, I bought it in 2014 and I just did a comparison. Um, so these were rentals. So my taxes have exactly doubled in that time. Um, insurance has gone up 80%. Uh, and the gas, or sorry, the water and electrical utilities have doubled and natural gas has gone up 380%. So the NOI is crazy. And that's crazy. It's dropped. And so, and so, you know, I had about 150 doors over the last few years. Um, I lost in 2015, 2016, the rent went down about an average of $300 per unit per month Mm. times 150. That's a loss of revenue of 45,000 at the same time your costs are going up and they've probably come back. The rents have probably come back maybe half, not all the way back to where they were. So yeah, it's not, uh, it hasn't been fun, even on the cash flow side. If yeah. you bought, you know, I bought a bunch of stuff at exactly the wrong time in 2014. So that, uh, yeah, <laughs> timing matters. Yeah, if I'd 100%. invested that same money in Toronto, in Ontario in 2014, I, I'd be, I'd be uh, yeah. $10 million richer now. So yeah, yeah. A lot of it is timing and luck, unfortunately. So. 100%, 100%. Yeah. So I think the biggest challenge is for anyone starting the development part, not the pre-development part, is uh partnering with uh, the builders and developers and operational partners so what was the challenge for you uh, uh you, you had this uh, especially the experience on 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 birds and adding value and force appreciation on your in your business but i think the developer part was was a different story so what was the challenge on the beginning to partner with with developers if you're doing actual development on the land? So the when I started in 2001, there was no books, there was no podcast, nobody's doing this stuff. So it was all yeah. I had to figure everything out, right? So now I've got my own course, and now I teach you how to do it, so you can you can uh, avoid all the headaches that I, I'll teach you to avoid. Can I start with your book first? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I did four books, and now I've turned the the Land of Ellen book into an actual online course. So I actually yeah. got a, a yeah. course that will teach people how to do this. And make money and profit through these micro strategies. So you have to decide what you want, right? Like, am I just going to um, get the, 
I define land development as getting a land or a lot ready for a builder and new construction is taking a service lot and building something on it, right? So are you gonna do both pieces? Are you gonna knock down that old house, get everything ready and then build the fourplex yourself? That's possible. Or maybe you just wanna get the land ready, knock down the old house, put the, put the utilities in the ground and then sell it, right? So you have to decide what you wanna do, how, how long, you know, like let's say just changing the up zoning or changing the zoning and the density, sorry. Um, really once you find the property, your team's doing all the work. So it's a really good kind of investment that's working in the background. You talked about cash flow before, you know, we always kind of come at these from a rental or a flip world. And we always think of cash flow as a monthly thing. Well, what if we change again, just tweak our thinking a little bit to say, what if it's a yearly thing? What if I could have just a couple of projects working in the background that my, my team, my civil engineer, my planner's working on. And, you know, I, I, it's not a lot of work in terms of time. Um, and maybe I make 40 or $50,000 profit per each. So maybe I do two of those a year and it's not a lot of work or a lot of, because your, your team's doing most of the work, but now cash flow is yearly as opposed to, to monthly. So that's a, again, a change of mindset to get away from this. Everything's rentals and flips, rentals and flips. Let's, let's maybe change your mindset. To, if you're having trouble playing in that sandbox, maybe come over to the yeah. land development and the construction sandbox. So it's really what you want to do and how long you want to, how, how much effort you want to put in in terms of time. Yeah. Do you want to build a house or you just want to stop at the, at the land, land development part of it? I, I think the, the comparison to buy and hold and rental properties where everyone is doing it and no one, not many people doing the, this business of land development. If we're comparing, comparing Apple to Apple, so when, when you're dealing with buy and hold, you need commercial relator, you need your, your team of people uh, uh, contractors you need property management this is the same uh, equation on land development what is your core team core team is basically still the realtor because the realtor <clears throat> kind of comes in in three spots they help you find the lot as you're putting your budget together they're going to help you figure out what the eventual resale is going to be and then they sell the lots at the end so you're going to have a mortgage broker um, you want to have a mortgage broker because uh, there is less lenders that'll lend in the space and less equity partners. So you want to know someone who kind of knows the players, mm -hmm. but your main team is a planner or a civil engineer, cost consultant, uh, surveyor, uh, and then the traditional, you know, um, attorney and accountant kind of thing. But typically it's the realtor mortgage broker and a civil engineer is your, is your main team. So, uh, for you was, was there any, any benefit for, for you to partner with developers on an actual, like com comparing between just land development to actually develop the land. Uh, was there any upside about doing this process with developer uh, from the cash flow, not for cash flow, the return on investment uh, perspective? <clears throat> so depending on the, those micro strategies, what you want to do, the, the buyer is different, right? So if you're just going to do the paperwork, you're going to sell to a developer. If you're going to, put some pipe in the ground and, and rezone the lots uh, and actually physically create the lots, then you're going to sell to a builder, right? So, mm. and maybe if you're in a rural area, you do some land development, you're going to sell to the actual person that's going to live in the house and then they're going to hire a builder, right? So it really depends uh, how far down, which micro strategy you're using and then how far down you want to take it. Um, you know, I always kind of built the houses as well, right? So I'd tear down the old house and then I build the new stuff. So really my end user was the, the family that was going to live in it at the end. Right. So mm. 
depends what you're going to do and what strategy and how far down the line you want to take it. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I think the, the one of the main subject also is the lending part versus the multifamily. So what was the highlight main differences and challenges between land development even on because you've been dealing with different strategies from micro to medium to high i think your last big one was uh, a casino and calgary yeah i was uh, actually instrumental in getting the the new horse track the race horse track and the casino built here in north calgary so that was okay. 720 acres we oh. were partnered with uh ivan o'camers on a major mall that's mm. out there as well so it was a yeah big project so from lending perspective, if we are comparing this to the different strategies of uh, land development and development to the multifamily, what was the qualification lending challenges from expertise side, the LTV and, and all of this stuff? What, what was the, the differences between the, this the main, versus the, the multifamily? Right. The main difference is you, you typically they want to see about 25 or 30 percent of your money in before you get kind of construction financing. So that's the main thing. And then your money goes in first, right? So you have to hit that 30% and you have to get your permits in place before you can tap into the construction financing. So it's it can be cash and heavy up at the front. And then basically you can you can fund everything after that through through a loan. The trick another trick to that though is is if you don't buy the land up front, if can you just control the land through the permitting stage? So partnering with the seller or agreement for sale or options to purchase. So anything you can do to kind of stop money from coming out of your pocket is a good thing. So, and again, some of those strategies, um, you know, just changing the zoning and the density, really, if you can control the land without owning it, um, your only real cost is 10 to $15,000 worth of engineering fees. So it, it can be a really uh, a way for, for people with smaller budgets to get into the real estate investing as well, right? So there's, there's, I say, and, you know, even that knocking down that old house. Um, so let's say, you know, one of my first projects was a, was a, a rental that I had, I knocked it down. I subdivided that one lot into two. One of the, one of the lots already had the, the utilities because it went to the old house. Yeah. So I just had to put utilities into the second one that you're, you're trying to dig in a trench to the the city street in front of you and tapping into the city mains, mm. depending where you are, that's let's say 15 to 30,000. You add, you know, five to 10 for, for engineering. So to do that is let's say 25 to 50,000. Well, if you can afford to buy that old house as a rental or a flip, you can afford to buy it for that strategy because 25 to 50,000 is what you're going to spend on a renovation anyway. Yeah. So, you know, the numbers are, are, are track very well to, to do this again with a smaller budget, right? So. And then you knock it down and then you sell two lots. Right. Yeah, okay. Uh, I think uh, my next question will be uh, the actual structure with, with your operation partner or general partner and passive investors. How you structure usually the deal on the, the land development board? The structuring itself? Yeah, the structure with uh, passive, you usually as a GEP, and operation, if you're bringing an uh, operational partner or developer and passive investor, how you can structure the deal? A great way to do it. And again, let's assuming we're their accredited investors or friends and family, but um, yeah. a great way to do it is just have them, the money partner, own the land. And then you protect yourself with a joint venture agreement uh, underneath, right? So uh, that gives 
the the money partner a lot of of uh, safety and flexibility because that they you know if things go wrong, you know they're not fighting over you over you know over the price of the land. So here you take the land, you're 100 on title. If things go well, we're going to split the profits 50-50, let's say. So it's an actually a really great way of doing that. They're going to qualify for the mortgage. They're bringing the money in. So I'd see it's kind of a different strategy, but uh, one that works really well. So again, but you have to protect yourself with the JV or joint venture agreement. Uh, but other than that, it's a, it's a lot easier. It's a lot cheaper to do than setting up, you know, limited liability partnerships and general partners and limited partners. Like it's, that gets you only want to do those on larger projects because it's it's really expensive from a, a legal standpoint. But uh, what I just said was is really cheap on, on from the legal side and protects you just as well. Yeah, hundred percent. And of course, you have to consult your uh, your accountant and lawyer before going uh, to do this because he's going to have the actual advice. Uh, but uh, yeah, this is what we do usually: uh, joint venture or uh, shareholder agreement uh, to avoid. Uh, the expensive security lawyers to do all of the GPLP. Right. Uh, like I said, and the, and the twist is just let your partner own the property. Like, don't don't try to be on title. Just let them handle it because it makes them feel better because they got that extra security. It's a, yeah. It's a nice warm fuzzy for them. So yeah. So I was trying to uh, try to explain or not explain. I want you to explain to the listeners one of your medium sized deals how you got the deal, what was the return on investment, how long you hold the deal. Uh, like, if you can, uh, like, tell us a little bit about one of your medium-sized deals uh, to, to give an, an actual insight of uh, the, the business uh, side of this deals. So, um, actually, let's, let's start maybe at the smaller. So, just zoning, changing the zoning and the density. Um, I had a buddy that just did one here in Calgary last year and for two and a half months, they made $130,000 profit. I have a Facebook group and somebody posted a couple of months ago that they made uh, $300,000 profit in six months just by changing the zoning and the density. So that's kind of a, those are possible for sure. Um, What I said before about knocking down that old house and and splitting the lots, you know, you you could, depending where you are, there's there's probably a 50 or $100,000 profit just by doing that. Um, a medium-sized project. I did a seven-acre site here in Calgary a few years ago, um, and basically, I changed the zoning and the density. I changed it was uh, one to two units per acre. I changed it to three to five, and then the zoning was a single-family home. To uh, I changed it to a duplexes. So the benefit on seven there, acres on seven and a quarter acres. Yeah. Oh, so okay. what? Why, how does that help? What does that do? So before at two units per acre, um, at seven and a quarter, that's 14 and a half, they round down. So I could have I could have created 14 lots and then sold to a builder who could have done 14 single family homes. Yeah. After I changed the zoning and the density, five times seven and a quarter is 36 and a bit, you round that down. After, after the changes, now you can do 36 lots as a developer wow. and the builder can do 36 um, duplexes, right? So that change, you've changed highest and best value, you've changed the value of that land. At that point, I had the option just to sell and I could have made a profit of 400,000 just by doing that without touching the dirt. I decided to go ahead and do everything. And then there was uh, basically the numbers worked out. There was roughly a million dollars profit from, from doing the, the land development piece, right? So, you know, two or three years in development, but that's kind of the return, right? So basically 
all these micro strategies are, I think, uh, a really solid uh, alternative to other short-term strategies like flips or condo conversions. Uh, I, th I think they they come up really well in, in the same time timeline, but also in terms of returns. I think you know a, a good land development. Any one of these micro strategies can can be the can be the equivalent of several flips if if they're done right. So you've got the potential of basically in the same amount of time to make more. So more on this deal of uh, the 36th lot, uh, you did the actual development by yourself. When you're saying by yourself, you partner with the developer, correct? No, I was the developer. No, I, I, I did that myself. So. so you have your own uh, construction company? I, I did, yeah. Um, oh, okay. Like I said, that's part I didn't like, really. I didn't like the on-site stuff. So, you know, when I did flips or I did condo conversions, I'd be on-site every day and organizing my trades and i'd go to like i said rona twice a day and i'd go to the drywall wholesalers and you know negotiate the price of a truckload of drywall you know so yeah but i got tired of that after a long time so now i let uh, I let other people do that but uh yeah. so that's what i teach in the course too is, is yeah. uh, pick your strengths and then delegate everything else so. i was trying to if you don't mind if you can highlight the actual book, uh, your book for land development, like the main subjects and also the, the course, because this is, as I mentioned, is is, is not covered well on uh, any of the podcast. I, right. I, I, I didn't like this, to be honest. And uh, I, I would like, I would be happy to, if you can highlight a little bit about the book and the course, uh, sure. about the what is covered on, on uh, the subjects. So that was kind of a, a pet peeve of mine too. I, you know, I got my first book about real estate when I was 15. That's 40 years ago. So it's always about rentals and flips, right? Like 90 to 95% is everything. It's rentals and flips and birds. Yeah. And like, so there's really nothing out there. There's a few courses through universities, but they're technical. Um, they're almost like if you want to become a planner or a civil engineer, hmm. they're, they're not really there as investors. So the books, I try to try to tell stories of what I've done objectively, right? Like a lot of the TV shows and stuff, it just works every time too, right? Like, you know, you, the pretty couple goes and this is the house we bought to flip and they, they may have a couple of problems, but at the end, oh yeah, it all worked well and we made a profit, right? It doesn't work all the time, right? So I, I try to be honest in my books and and in the, the course that, you know, this is how you make money in flips or rentals or, or land development. And this is how you can get your butt kicked too, right? Like, so you got to watch for that. So that's what I try to do in most of my stuff is be honest. Uh, and then also um, the things that I really highlight in the course is, uh, yes, we tell you the steps and this is how physically you do this, but the real strength is the, the network. You, you know, we have a closed Facebook group for the students uh, so they can network and, and actually they're starting to invest together, which is kind of cool. Uh, every two weeks, uh, we do a, a closed uh, Zoom call with me. So you actually get direct contact with me, which is really important because a lot of times, you know, you read a book, well, then what do you do, right? Like, so, and then the other thing we that's really great about the course is we've got a checklist. So there's a nine page checklist. So again, yeah, you, you finish the course. What do I do next? Well, here's the checklist. So first thing is, how do we find the right municipality? You know, how do we find the right community? And you know, what do they need? And we go down. So it's it's really important. So you're going on your own. And then you hit a wall, oh, got a problem. Well, now there's the Facebook group or there's the Zoom Q&A with me to, to get your... So it's I, I really want you guys to succeed and I really want to be do everything I can to, to, to help you with that. So lots of access to me. Um, 
And then the other thing is, is really focus on how to find stuff, how to fund it, right? So probably 60% of the course is how to find opportunities and how to fund them and, and, and what the structure we have a, you know, I've got a video on, on how to structure deals and that. So, and that'll work no matter what strategy you're, you're into. So it's, you know, the number one, the number one and two things everybody wants to learn is how do I find stuff and how do I fund it? Right. So, uh, so I go into that in great detail. So lots, lots of value there. So uh, one of the things you, you mentioned that you started on 2001, where is no podcast or books about this. So who was your influential mentor? You're now doing coaching for people, but who was like your role model when you started? I had a, a kind of a realtor that had done a, a lot of stuff and he, he pushed, pushed me in the right direction a little bit, but mostly it was just trial and error, like talking to civil engineers and going down to city hall. So it was a lot of, you know, I used to be a computer guy and I always say, you know, if you screw up on a computer, you're just staying late and working for free to fix it. Right. If you make a mistake in real estate, you're writing a check to somebody to, to fix the problem. Right. So I wrote a lot of checks to a lot of people to, <laughs> to, to screw up. So, yeah. yeah. So if you can attach yourself to someone who's done it, they'll save you, you know, hours and hours and you know, potentially hundreds of thousands of dollars of cost. So it's, uh, it's it was really self self learning yeah. there yeah. was nobody there um my last question is how the people can reach you to uh, follow your success just you know you can just put in uh, darcymarler.com that'll that'll take you to my main web page and on the web page uh there's links for the books there's links to for a webinar to learn about the course there's you know i've got a, an open facebook group where uh, and a YouTube channel, like I post videos once a week on land development and new construction. So if you really want to get into this, yeah, just go to DarcyMarler.com and whatever, however you want to interact with me. You know, I do mentoring as well. So whoever wants uh, to do that is, you know, I, I can help people that are already into land development and new construction, but want to scale. I can definitely show you how to scale properly. And all that. so That's great. Yeah. Thanks also for your time today. And we're really happy to bring you in again. We talk about more strategies about land development. Thanks a lot. No, I appreciate it. And, and I, I like, I really think this is the next big thing because people are having so much problems finding stuff to flip and, yeah. and rent. I, I really think uh, with all the immigration coming in and the existing housing crisis, there's going to be a real demand for lots and new, like this is going to be big over the next five years. So if, if you want to catch the, the beginning of a wave, 